1: Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel any time. ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Though many of the guests here on the podcast have been married, there's actually only been one married couple to be featured here on Why I'll Never Make It. And that was back in season one. Well, today I'm bringing another talented couple on to talk about their own experiences as a Broadway dresser and master technician. Evelyn and Chris were to have been married last year, but a little thing called COVID got in the way. So while they wait on those wedding plans again, they join me to talk about their own paths to backstage careers in theater.
2: Honestly, it was the best thing I could have done. I did it for my mental health also. I know a lot of actors can say that the grind of auditioning, performing, it takes a lot on your mental state. And for me... I, I couldn't
1: do it. Hi there, and welcome to Why I'll Never Make It, or Win Me for short. This is one of Feedspot's top 25 theater podcasts, where each week I talk with fellow creatives about the realities of a career in the performing arts. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, a professional actor and singer for almost 30 years. The website is com, And the two things to do while you're at the website is, number one, sign up for the monthly newsletter. And number two, fill out the 2021 listener survey. Now, this is especially for you repeat listeners, those loyal to this podcast, who I'm sure have quite a few opinions on how this show can be better. Plus, Who doesn't want a $25 Amazon gift card, right? I mean, I was shopping there before COVID, but in the last year, I mean, I feel like I've single-handedly kept them in business. Although I think we've all had a hand in that. So anyway, sign up for the newsletter and fill out that survey at whyillnevermakeit.com. For those of you who stick around to the end of each episode, you've heard me mention that this podcast is a member of the Broadway Makers Alliance. It's a collective of small business entrepreneurs and service providers and podcasters like myself that support each other through education, camaraderie, and insights on how to grow each of our respective creative endeavors. Well, it was one of the leaders of Broadway Makers, Kirsten Rinkle, that introduced me to today's guests. They all actually met through BroadwayCon, which if you don't know, but can guess from the name, it's an annual convention here in New York City focusing on all things Broadway. And I am so grateful to Kirsten for connecting me with Evelyn LaBelle and her fiance, Chris Stepanek.
2: Hi, I'm Evelyn. I am a dresser on Broadway, which is like kind of wardrobe-esque. And a couple places that I've worked is uh, Frozen, Bronx Tale, Lion King, and Miss Saigon.
0: Hi, I'm Chris. I am technically a master technician at Second Stage's Off-Broadway Theater Space. Essentially a technical director, they just call it a master technician. I mainly work at Second Stage, but I also freelance with IOTC, places like The Shed, MTC, I've been to Helen Hayes, but I've also worked at places like uh, Utah Shakespeare Festival, the Santa Fe Opera, various summer stocks throughout the country.
1: You'll be hearing them talk about their respective jobs and how they each contribute in different ways to the production of theater work on stage. And we also get into a very important discussion of unions and how they can help or hinder your job prospects. But first we talk about how they both landed on theater as a profession and why backstage work has been a much better fit for each of them. All right, welcome, Evelyn and Chris. It's so nice to meet you both and have you here on the podcast.
0: Hello. Thank you for having us.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now, I have interviewed a lot of actors, and there's always that theater bug. It draws us in, and it hooks us, and it just never lets us go. And it was like that for the two of you, in that you were hooked in this world of theater and performing. However finding your place in theater is not just about what you're good at, but also what maybe doesn't fit you as well. And both of you had your own transitional times of figuring out both of those. What was that journey like for you, Evelyn?
2: I actually caught the theater bug of performing first. I actually auditioned to get into college for performing. And then um, I was in a fashion class my senior year of high school and everybody was like, you're really good at this. And I've always loved fashion and like dressing up and that aspect and I also really like history. So it all kind of made sense to go into the costuming world of it. Um, So I decided to apply to a couple of colleges with costume design and I got in and I decided to just kind of take a hard left and go that way (laughs) instead. Um, And honestly, it was the best thing I could have done. I did it for my mental health also. I know a lot of actors can say that the grind of auditioning, performing, it takes a lot on your mental state. And for me, I I couldn't do it. I I needed to know myself well enough that I'm too much of an empath and I take things very seriously and I take things to heart. And so I couldn't do it. So I decided to go into theater wardrobing and I love it.
1: So do you ever miss going back or, or have thoughts of going back?
2: Sometimes when I'll see a show, I'm like, oh, I miss that. But the thing that I love most about theater is the Family community aspect of it. I think that was always my thing when I was growing up. Um, I didn't fit in in high school, so that theater was my community. Um, and I still get to be a part of that in wardrobe. I still hang out with the actors outside of work. I still get to hang out with them day in and day out. So, like, and yeah, the, they're technically getting the applause, but at the end of the day, like, if I didn't help them get into that outfit, they wouldn't have made it on stage and, you know, they wouldn't have gotten that, that applause. So.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, believe me, as, as an actor, we have great respect for those who work in wardrobe, costuming, dressing, because yeah, there are those quick changes that we wouldn't make it without you. So, so that you are definitely a part of that applause when we get it. Exactly. And then one of the other unsung heroes is certainly the technicians that, that do a lot of the things that that audiences see, but they don't know that they're seeing the, the technical aspect. You know, the actors and, and all that kind of stuff get the you know main attention.
0: So for you, Chris, what was it that got your theater bug going? So I definitely had a different route. I guess I dipped my toes in the performing aspect in high school. So I was a, a band nerd, like through and through. Marching band, concert band, all that stuff. Um, and I had a lot of friends who like did both. So I was like, oh man, it would be cool. And so I was like, okay, maybe I'll try choir. Maybe I'll try show choir, which in the Midwest is a thing. Think glee, but not as production heavy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Laugh it up.
1: I love how Evelyn is laughing at you.
0: Hey, hey, Evelyn, I did the same thing. I did both church and school show choir. So,
2: well, the thing is,
0: if if you knew me now, <laughs> it is it is a complete 180 of who I am as a person. It is, it is the last thing you would expect of me because I'm such a non- in the spotlight person I'm very much a a hang back do my job and like stay in the shadows kind of person but at the time I thought that was the viable option that was the option in theater in high school I had a lot of friends do uh, starting with lighting and that was kind of like the oh I ran spotlight for the musical west side story we did Uh, and I I went and saw it and I was like oh this this is so cool so my my high school has a great theater very large like well-equipped theater and I was kind of wowed by our musical and I was like this seems really cool you know I I was never one to want to sit be at a desk and just chill I always felt like doing something so I was like well wait I can I can build things I can like construct stuff I can make things happen and and that kind of caught me where you know after school I would be in the theater shop for like three plus hours just building things and I just I liked the people, I liked what I was doing, and I kind of ran with it. And then um, we had a technical director my senior year who's actually still at my high school who kind of made me realize that it's a viable career option. He pushed the idea that like, oh, you can actually live off of this and make it a real thing. And so he's actually the one that recommended majoring in it in college and try out some like summer jobs to get my quote unquote professional career going. And basically that's when I realized, well, I'm, I'm enjoying myself and I can make money off of this. And so I, I kind of ran with it and it, it's just kind of fit. And I, I, it's hard to imagine myself doing anything different since. So
1: with your designation as master technician, does that mean that you have kind of your hands in all the different technical aspects from set design to lighting to sound? Mm -hmm. Is it kind of
0: everything or what does that mean? I think it's safe to say that in educational theater, that's much more the case where you kind of just do a little bit of everything, but now master technician in New York, scenery is built in shops and then sent in and assembled in the space. And so I'm essentially like the crew head that like, I know all the ins and outs of the scenery. I direct the crew, how to assemble it. And then I also correspond with lighting, sound, et cetera, to ensure They have what they need. We're working copacetically. Wardrobe has their quick change booth set up in the right places and everything they need in it, hooks, curtains, whatever, mirrors. So I don't necessarily do everything, but I have kind of a very well-rounded knowledge of everything to bring it together.
1: Understood. Understood. And and for you, you you started in costume design, you've done wardrobe, you've done dresser. All those are kind of different functions under the same umbrella, but one is definitely more the creative designer, so to speak, and then the other implements those or obviously helps the actors dress it. Do you waft between all of those or do you have a main focus?
2: Um, in college I wafted between, but Now, in my professional career, I am just in the dresser wardrobe world. Um, I like the fast pace of it. I like the anxiety of... And I know that sounds a little interesting, but I like the anxiety inducing moments of like, am I going to get it in 30 seconds? And then after I do, I'm like, yes. Um, So, you know, I really like that kind of stuff. (laughs) I don't know. That's kind of where I've settled. Maybe I'll design again one day. I do like the creative aspect of it, but right now I am very happy where I am.
1: Now, certainly both for us actors, but also those behind the scenes, COVID this last year has dealt a blow to all of us. And so for you, were you able to take your skills and parlay them into other jobs somewhere?
2: Well, um, for us, it's a rare, interesting case. I have a high-risk medical condition, so we have to be kind of quarantined into our house um, because of me so because of that it's been a little harder to look for work other places um, so I have turned to the internet to do like funny videos and things uh, because again I have an acting background
0: love it all right Chris occasionally I'll get a little a little gig for some theater thing that I do a little bit of work for but it's extremely very few and far between yeah I had a lot of friends who in the carpentry, World, try to go get like jobs at home improvement stores only to find out that everybody is trying to get job at home improvement stores. So, so even, even if they felt more comfortable going out and about it, it just, they weren't able to, because it was so oversaturated with people like us trying the same routes and uh, struggling. So maybe you'll start an Etsy shop only to find out everyone's starting an Etsy shop. So it, it was kind of like a tough way to get into it and finding it very saturated
1: no no the same thing happened with podcasts it kind of took off in april and may and into the summer and you know now, now there's two million podcasts it just kind of took off in the last year or so i think a lot of performers and technicians and backstage people the different avenues that they explored were being filled up by everyone else out of work
2: 100 yep. percent
1: So, taking a step back then before COVID, you know, when we were all working and happy and everything, (laughs) with regards to what we'll start with Chris, with regards to the off Broadway shows that you've done, uh, certainly Second Stage is one of the top tier off Broadway companies. How does it compare with other off Broadway and regional
0: companies that you've worked for? Well, I would agree Second Stage is pretty high tier. Uh, but I, I I think in New York, it's very unique specifically with Off-Broadway because Off-Broadway has a lot of variation of the venue, the space in general, which leads to different types of shows, different styles of shows and how the each show could potentially be presented. Because, you know, one thing Second Stage has that a lot of other places don't have is a fly space that's Off-Broadway. And, and so that just it makes it for a more quote-unquote conventional musical theater experience in some instances. Because I guess when you say off-Broadway, to me, as so someone from the Midwest, that kind of comes with the the moniker of like, it has the word Broadway in the name. So it's more more real or more validating theater. And like you're doing, you know, ooh, New York Broadway, off-Broadway theater is like, you know, the thing. But at the end of the day, it kind of is the same in the big picture of it all. Regional theaters have some of the most talented shop workers, seamstresses, painters, as these people who are doing these shows in New York. And I think that's my main takeaway of it is like, well, I'm, I've am i been doing things quote unquote right all this time. Well, every other place I've been working, at the end of the day, it's still the same work. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily realize that.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think you bring up a good point because just the moniker, like New York actor versus Nebraska actor, one's just going to have yep. more clout. It, it doesn't mean that the talent is any different or any better or less. It's just what the audience perceives it to be. And definitely the same goes for, for technicians behind the stage. You know, you being a Broadway dresser, Evelyn, as opposed to a dresser for a regional company in upstate New York. You know, it, it just carries with it a different thought when people hear it.
2: 100%. I mean, I recently did a a talk for a friend of mine from college, she teaches. And so she had me talk to the students. And I was like I'm just telling all of y'all that seriously, if you can work in a regional theater, you can work on Broadway. Like you can do both. Like it's it's literally the same job.
1: And it's the same for actors as well. That that's that's one of the big themes that I get from actors. They'll they'll talk about a regional gig that they did early in their career and then finally doing their Broadway debut and they're like, "Oh, okay, so there's a thousand more people out in the audience and the set's bigger, but my job is still the same. I still have to come in every day doing the same work. It's just now in a bigger venue.
0: When I worked in Kansas city, I worked with the Kansas city repertory theater, a bunch, and they have a great theater and they have great designers come through definitely Broadway level, but people don't perceive it as that because it's not, you know, the the Broadway theater represented in Kansas city. It's it's the Kansas city repertory theater and they'll have the same spectacle, the same quality, but I don't think people just really realize that because they're like, it's the, the label. Yeah. It's the label at the end of like, the day. Cause <laughs> we were still doing amazing automation work, probably the same level they would on Broadway with all these like fun, interesting things to watch high quality acting. They get great lighting designers, great set designers come through. And then their six hundred seat theater with two thirds full is good. Yeah. But I think the general public is is really missing out on what is really great. Broadway quality stuff in their own backyard that they don't realize. Now, has that affected how both of you have
1: sought out work? Because both of you have done freelance as well as these Broadway and off-Broadway venues. Has it affected the kind of work that you go for? Because obviously those bigger names, bigger prestige, generally means a bigger paycheck. But yet you can be just as happy doing the same work elsewhere. How does that affect you in looking for work?
2: Well, so for us, it's a little different because we're part of a union. Well, I'm part of a union. He's almost almost in the union. The, getting into that union is very difficult. If we want to talk about how you make it and how you don't make it, that is very hard. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, for me, I have to stay within union work. I don't have to technically, but if I want my 401k, if I want my health care, if I want all that kind of stuff, I have to stay within my union, which means Broadway houses. So for me, unfortunately, I kind of have to stick in there. And again, I I don't mean unfortunately, I'm very, very lucky, but like I can't just like jump to an off-Broadway house that's not unionized because then I lose all of my stuff. So I have to think about that kind of uh, when I'm applying for jobs. And thankfully, I've networked and met enough people that I can kind of float between different union houses um, because I know enough people now. Um, But it was definitely scary at first trying to meet people and stay within the union house because there were there was a whole month and a half where I didn't work because I didn't know enough people and there weren't people hiring and I was like do I go to an off-broadway house and lose everything well I don't, I don't again I don't lose it but I don't get to put money into it I don't my 401k is gonna start being like
0: it's kind gonna of a plateau it's
2: gonna plateau mm. and like with the with the health care whatever I work the money a certain percentage goes into my healthcare care like account so if I don't work a union house no money's going into it which means I don't have money to pay for it's a whole thing so for me i i stick with broadway and i stick with unionized houses
1: now we're about to dive into a talk about unions for us actors as i mentioned actors equity is a little bit easier to understand even if you're not a member of that union as far as how to get in what it's about and all that when it comes to backstage, though, there are a multitude of unions covering the stagehands, the dressers, hair and makeup, musicians. A multitude of jobs are covered by different unions, and each of them have different requirements of how to get in. And through this discussion with Evelyn and Chris, I get an education into things I didn't even know about the unions and how hard it can be to become a member and how vital they are to finding work and maintaining a career.
2: So I'm under uh, 764, which is the New York New Jersey Wardrobers Costuming Union. So, like, if I were to come to Boston, let's say, and want to work in like a like a professional house, so like the like an op the opera house, they have their own union. Which means I would have to either apply for a specific transfer union, which is like a pink card, which is like um. Gr-
0: granted, they're all IOTC but they're different chapters. Chapters. So you generally have to like seek approval to like, oh, I'm changing my chapter. Can I get a new card? Things like that. Which is different from equity,
1: which I'm a part of, which equity I can go to Broadway, Sacramento. I can do a small regional theater. I can do Broadway. It's kind of, I can bounce around, but it's not. Yeah, I have to apply for
2: a different chapter or I have to apply for like a a slip that like gives me, like, let's say I'm working on Broadway and working on these shows and then I get a job offer uh, in Boston. I can say, hey, I'm only going to be in Boston for this one show run. Can I get an extension to get paid or? Uh, Can I get it moved to Boston for those three months while I'm working there? And then I'll be back to New York. Um, Usually it's fine. But again, I have to think about IOTC houses. That's kind of so unionized is IOTC. So again, uh, it's all one umbrella, but I have to make sure it falls. I can either transfer or I'm in 764.
1: And so for you, Chris, not being quite in union yet, how does it affect your, your job placement and looking for work?
0: So pre my time in New York, I looked for what I felt could advance me in terms of skill. For example, when I worked at the Utah Shakespeare Festival, I was a carpenter and a welder. And my Lord, did I learn so much from being in a shop for, because I I spent two summers there and I, I did so much work and I feel like my time there was invaluable to me being a better carpenter. And I'm thankful for that. At the time, I was definitely looking for where I felt I could be, I could do the most carpentry work. And that's one of the places I was like, well, I know it's, it's got a name to it. And I know they do. They build six shows in a summer. Sounds great. But at the time I had a couple other offers at that time I did go for, okay, this is a bigger name theater. When I went to Santa Fe opera, that was more um, working in, you know, crew, how does crews run? How do changeovers work? And that was definitely, I was going for the name because I felt like that would be a good resume piece. Granted, I also learned a ton working there and I feel like I, I gained lasting contacts there. There's people I still talk to. And I worked there in uh, 2011. And I think that's that was invaluable. But nowadays, I kind of, since I'm not in the union, I, I generally try to go for the jobs that I can I can get uh, with the union because that kind of works towards my placement in it if I didn't take the apprentice test, which I did. But that's a whole other story. But um, making the money to be in the union was, was very valuable. So I always sought that out that's going to be my top choice. But if I have time, if, because second stage is a full-time job, 40 hour week, like full-time job, which is a hard thing to come by, uh, for what I do in New York. Um, but when I do have the free time, I'm, you know, I'll take what works for my schedule. I'm not necessarily picky. It's just extra money to throw into our like wedding fund or something, or my, you know, vacation fund. So it's, um, that, yeah, I, I'm not as picky as I used to be unless it's a union offer.
1: So since we're here, um, I certainly know the equity process of joining. There, there's a couple of different ways. You can just be straight out offered a contract, or then there's points that you can build up to equity membership candidate and so on and become a full-fledged member. For each of you, your unions or chapters, how does becoming a member work? We'll start with Evelyn.
2: Yeah, I'll, I was going to say, I'll go first because mine's going to be quick. Yeah. You have to live in New York or New Jersey for 18 months and you have to work in a Broadway house for 30 days.
1: So really, so as long as you get the job, then after that 30 days, you can become a member.
2: Yes, um, because I I was very lucky. Um, I Disclaimer, it normally doesn't happen like this. I was very lucky. Disclaimer, I was very lucky. And I I, again, I still count my lucky stars because I don't know how it happened. I moved to, well, I do know how it happened. It's just, we'll talk about this person with your five questions. Um,
1: (laughs) Evelyn is referring to the final five episodes, which is a members-only episode available to those who support this podcast. And the person she's talking about is a previous guest, Kimberly Faye Greenberg. And Evelyn shares the pivotal role Kimberly had in launching Evelyn's career here in New York.
2: um, I moved to New York um, on October 1st. I had my first Broadway gig on October 5th. Um, I was very lucky with how it all fell into my lap. Um, And so I didn't obviously meet the 18-month requirement. So after my 30 days, I went to the union house and I was like, hey, can we just like sign a waiver to like, wave me. And they did. So I instantly got my card after my 30 days of working in the union house. But again, getting in the door and knowing people, that's the tricky part. You can live in New York for four to five years and not get in because you don't know anybody.
1: It's definitely networking who you know is much more of a game when it comes to these backstage jobs than for us actors. 100%.
2: All
0: right, Chris. Okay. So
1: now we have you.
0: <laughs> All right. So... I've worked for three chapters in Lincoln, Nebraska, and Omaha, Nebraska. That's IOTC 151 and IOTC 42. Um, they have a set number of members. I think in Lincoln, it was like something like 35, very difficult. So when we get like concerts, Broadway tours, etc., cetera, that's just kind of like, if they call you lucky you, and if you show up enough, eventually you'll get a card simple enough. When it comes to that time, you got to apply and be like, all right, am I worthy to get the card in their eyes? That's kind of tough because, you know, it's not consistent work. It's when tours come through. In New York, uh, IOTC Local 1 is difficult. Um, It's very much a who-you-know game, but there are levels of entry in terms of, you know, coming in cold like I did. So first, there is the apprentice test, which roughly every three years is offered and they give it to, they provide it to 300 people, only 300 people.
2: First come, first serve. First
0: come, first serve. You show up at the union office, you pay the fee, and you go and take a test. And it is a um, skills test and like logical understanding, mechanical understanding, very basic stuff like basic physics, um, also like understanding patterns and matchmaking and things like that. So is is it a just a written test or is it an oral portion of it? Or? It is all written. And uh, from that pool of 300, they take the top 40, and then that top 40 is then throughout the three uh, the next three year period when there's not a test, you are placed at a IATC one location that's like under the the union, and you apprentice there for for like two to three years, and after that you are a full fledged member, and then you know you're you're paid as an apprentice. That's where I'm currently sitting. I w- I placed 14th.
2: 14, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. 14 um, and, out of uh, 300, I'm bragging for unfortunately, you. Unfortunately,
0: <laughs> they only made it to 10 by the time the pandemic hit. So I've been waiting Ugh. and waiting and waiting. That's very interesting to me because
1: a- as an actor, I know that there are equity houses that, and Second Stage is one of those. And obviously all the Broadway theaters and, and various other uh, off-Broadway companies are equity houses. And so those are the places that I can work at, at any of them. Mm-hmm. So are there IOTC houses where you would get credit or or can you really, since you're an apprentice, you
0: can work anywhere but only get credit at certain places? Well, so how how it works is as an apprentice, you are placed in one location and that is your full-time job.
2: So like they could place him at Radio City and like that's his apprenticeship for the next two to three years.
0: Yeah. Or or like Jazz at the Lincoln Center or like the American Airlines or Hudson Scenic Studios. Uh, So it's very, or or like some sound studio and I could be, doing sound stuff. It's not in my wheelhouse, but like that's where I would be placed. It all depends uh, who's who's next on the list. I can then go work at other places that are union. It's it's encouraged to focus on other union stuff to kind of, you know, they're putting their time into you. They're like, well, we want, we want your, your time back. Um, also networking. Also networking as well. Another way to do it is by making a set amount of money each year for three years. It's like $30,000 working for the union per year for 3 years.
2: And it has to be consecutive. Okay, so okay. if you work 2 years and then your 3rd year you only make 20,000, those 2 years are null and void. You have we'll to start, start again.
0: At, at least from what I understand, yeah. And how hard is that to reach 30,000? De- it <laughs> truly it depends because if you get to a place that is a higher paying one and you get to know people and they call you back regularly, you're you're pretty much set. But like for the first time I worked for the union, that was kind of my goal. I was getting infrequent work because A, I had a full-time job. And B, I was going to places that weren't paying the higher end of the scale, which is like, that's okay. But but at the end of the day, I was, I was meeting a lot of people. And from those people, I, I, I was able to get more jobs elsewhere, which really helped me. But it, it is difficult because you, you can show up to the union house at 7 a.m. every day with your tools and hope somewhere needs help because they'll call out and be like, Hey, we need more hands. And then the union house will be like, Oh, you're here to work. You, you, and you go to NBC studios. And that, that's just how it works is, is hoping to get on a cruise somewhere and hope. And, and at the end of the day, it, you know, it was mostly about who I met and who they knew to talk to about getting me on a crew. And then I showed up with tools ready to work. I, I like to think I'm not an idiot, so they thought I was a decent worker. <laughs>
2: the thing with Local One is it's, like, as much as my union is all who you know, Local One is very much who you know. Like, getting Local One work is very difficult to even get your foot in the door because, like, people will hire their their friends or people that they know that they've worked with. And once people get, like, with Local One, usually – I've come to notice, at least with the jobs I've worked at, they're, they don't really float too much. They have, like, a stationary house that they stay at. So, like, the people at the Long Acre stay at the Long Acre. So, once you have a house that you're comfortable at, you're not leaving. Yeah. So, like... it's hard to find work in that sense. They'll hire crews, but like the crew heads and the people that have been there for years, they're not going anywhere and they're going to hire their family. And like, if they have family that wants to be in local one, or if they have friends that want it, like who want to, you know, need some work because their show shut down, they're going to hire them over you.
0: I I don't want to disparage the union at all. I I want this union work. I love the idea of union. It gives job security. We got there at 6 a.m. Yeah. We got there at 6 a.m. for the, for the, the test stuff. There's a line around the damn block. (laughs) Um, And like, it's a coveted thing and it's a hard thing to get into, but once you're in it, it is immensely valuable and they really look after their workers. And, and even when I, so I, I had some stuff happen to me where, where even I wasn't a full fledged member, the The members who I was working for, they went to bat for me hard because they were looking out for the people that were working for them. It was incredible. And it was, it was just like a good feeling that you have that community and camaraderie of the people looking out for you
2: again, we're both very lucky to be a, a part of our unions. Like I'm very lucky that I got in so quick and he's very lucky that he placed so high and like gets to be next in line. Like that doesn't happen. Case in point, just a quick side story. We were waiting in line at 6 AM and we were talking to like people around us and he got phone numbers from everybody. Cause you know, networking, we networking and he was the only person in that group that got through. So like, it's yeah. very difficult. It's and, and some, very some hard. Of them,
0: that was their like second or third trial. Rise, yeah,
2: it? they have been trying for years. And so like, we're both very lucky to be part of these unions. And like, I, I am my strong forever.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I think both of you have showcased how difficult it is to be a part of it, but also once you're in, how well they take care of you. And I can certainly attest to that being in a couple of national tours and working with those IATSE crew members. And they are a family. They do look after each other. But there's also a respect because in the various houses that we would go into around the tour, they had their local technicians and exactly. they, they had their specific job and our crew would give deference to them and then that crew would help. So it was definitely a respect among those. And it's interesting because I've been in television crews and I think this somewhat relates to theater, but there's a job for everything. If this apple box needs to be moved, you call that person. There's a sound issue. You call that person. Oh, we, we have we have a spill over here. You call that person. It's not like if you see a problem, you just go and fix it. There is a designated hierarchy of who does what job.
2: Oh, I learned the hard way not to touch props. Don't touch them. (laughs) Not my union, don't touch them. Because I had an actress ask me once if I could grab her a prop. So I did. And the prop master was like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry.
1: (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Because the thing is- I didn't know. (laughs) And the thing is, you can attest to this, Chris, that sometimes a prop is also a set piece is also a part of costuming.
0: So it can be a multitude of things. Yes. Sometimes you just want to be extra careful and just not get in trouble and not touch anything. But big caveat, some places the, the lines blur and they don't really care. Other places you will be yelled at for even getting close to something. So it's a matter of, of just knowing where you're at. Cause you are at because I think New York is a little stricter on that but then you go to places in the Midwest it's like oh uh that that they need help lifting this truss I'm on lighting today don't care go help the sound guys like they like they just need an extra hand it'll be 5 minutes help them out
2: And ours is the same way like there are certain like costume props like a cell phone or something. And I'll always, ever since I've learned quickly, I always ask the props master before I am like, Hey, the actress asked if I could grab that for them while they're doing their quick change. And they're like, yeah, go ahead. But I always ask now, <laughs> but like, you know, it's a, it's a costume piece technically, cause they're putting it in their purse, but it is technically a prop. So like, where does it fall? Who fixes it when it does break? Like all of that kind of stuff. And so you absolutely have to have those conversations.
1: Yeah. Cause I remember one time I was in a, in particular house, I can't remember what city it was, but there was the props master for, for the local, not one of our national tour crew, but the local. And he would sit at the prop table on stage, right? I think it was. And if anyone needed something, he was like, up he was like ready he he was either there to monitor the props and make sure no one touched it or if you needed it he would get it it was it was it, some are very strict
0: when it comes to that <laughs> one thing i found um opera is a is a whole other beast because generally the singers are handed everything they don't pick up something off of the prop table they get it handed to them when they come off stage they're basically waited on which i found fascinating i don't know if it's everyone but it, or or or, or certain houses or what, but it felt like that was kind of a consistent thing when I worked in opera, whether it was educational or professional. When it comes to equity, I would say
1: that if you're the lead of the show, you know, then then you get that person who hands you your towel, your water, they your next prop. They let you know, here's where you need to go next. I, I will say that I, I had that once. It was even in a regional show. And basically, it was my dresser who took that upon herself. She was basically my mini stage manager. She let me know where I need to go next, what side of the stage. Okay, we're doing this because i had so many costume changes i was doing fun home and i had so many costume changes she let me know where i was going next she helped me with this she brought everything to where i needed to be the next as soon as i got off stage she was so without her i would not have done that show so there's definitely times where dressers like you evelyn make us actors look good
2: (laughs) well i when i worked at north music theater which is a um a theater in the round it's even more challenging because there's I think 12 entrances. So there were many a times where I was like, no, 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 you gotta come this way. Come with me. Like <laughs> there was one show I remember, um, someone who I loved working with so much, I would get her tea every day because I just knew that was what she liked. So I watched her do it a couple of times and I was like, I would have it ready at her station. And um, there were other times where I her costume was so big, I had to, <laughs> I had to put a black hoodie on and like put it down and like crawl down the aisle. So when she met me, I could scoop up all of her costume and walk behind her so she could make it up the aisle. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Looking forward, as theaters begin to open up again, COVID is certainly going to be a part of our lives for the next year, maybe two, as far as protocols and different things. How do you see both of your jobs changing, being altered as we finally get back into theaters once again?
2: Well, I've been told, like flat out, that some things backstage are going to change. Um, on the show that I work on because of just traffic issues and making sure that we only come in contact with a few actors each. And granted, we already do that already, but there are instances where we help everybody. So they want us to kind of single in on the people that we are supposed to help and not help as much outside of our bubble. Um, I know that that's coming down. They've mentioned it. Um, I don't know how much. I don't know what? But that's kind of, I know for us, um, I already kind of work in a bubble. I very much take care of the dancer men. That is what my kid, like I take care of them. So I'm not super concerned. It's going to affect my world too much. I know it's going to affect other dressers very specifically. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I, at this rate, I'll, I'll follow them around with water if I have to, and just with water. And if you could put me back in a theater, like, please. (laughs) And just
1: spray them with alcohol and and hand sanitizer, (laughs) sanitizer. whatever.
2: I will literally, I will, I will get hand sanitizer pumps and put them onto my apron and everyone can just come up and pump on my hip. Like, please.
1: (laughs) Chris, how do you think of the tech side will change?
0: Well, I've been back in the theater a couple of times before vaccines were being really rolled out. So what we did was very specific walking lanes and like, oh, you know, this way is one way only. So you didn't cross paths with other people, but I don't think that's sustainable. Uh, But I think probably mask wearing is going to be a a constant backstage for anyone who's not on stage. You know, some of us like scenic people don't always necessarily come in contact with people often. Like if, if I'm running automation, I'm already in my own bubble. I don't. I almost never see anybody. Spotlights are kind of the same. That kind yeah, of yeah. They you know they're in their spot booth. The, the lightboard operator sitting at his desk, her desk, and so that doesn't matter as much. But I think it's like the 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 props people, the wardrobe people, the stage managers who are kind of interacting with the performers more. I think they're going to probably be you know maybe masks, gloves, um, maybe have. Areas that they're in that they, they can't necessarily cross at all times, or if they have to move to an area, do it at a specific point when no one's around. So it's just, maybe it's just like a beefier backstage blocking situations, but I'm sure there's also some places that I've already implemented stuff, you know, TV productions have already have, have already happened. Um, so I'm sure there's, there's stuff that's already in place that we don't necessarily know about that may be brought over to, to theaters.
1: Yeah, and I think it's going to change the way directors direct as far as, you know, having this exit or that exit or instead of having to cross backstage, all costumes will be over here. I mean, yeah, I think the, the backstageography of how a show runs will definitely change and, and probably minimalize. To, to have as little movement as possible so that people kind of stay in their areas. I, I could see that being a big change. Yeah, 100%. Thank you for joining my conversation with Evelyn LaBelle, a Broadway dresser, and her fiance, Krista Ponick, a theater technician, talking all about the unseen world of backstage theater and what really goes on behind the scenes. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver Jones, and this is Why I'll Never Make It. Oh, Evelyn, Chris, this has been great to talk to you. Thank you so much for sharing your backstage insights. Absolutely.
2: Yes, of course. Thank
0: you for having us. Yeah, thank you.
1: Why I'll Never Make It is a part of the Helium Radio Network and a member of the Broadway Makers Alliance. Your support of this podcast is greatly needed and appreciated. Go to it.com and become a member today. Music in this episode is provided by Vortex. Join me next week with publicist Diane Foy as we talk more about Why I'll Never Make It. Most enterprises use disparate systems to manage spend. The result? A reactive manual approach. CFOs and controllers, you deserve better. You deserve a unified spend platform from Brex. Brex makes it easy to proactively control spend with cards, spend management, travel, and bill pay in one place. You can create budgets with controls built in, track and adjust in real time to keep teams accountable, and automate compliance to close the books faster. Ready to control your spend with one unified platform? Visit Brex.com.